Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the ABA Law Student Podcast. My name is Meg Steenberg, and I'm a 1L in the JDI program at Syracuse University College of Law. I'm also a graduate of Georgetown University and have a master's in broadcast journalism from Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Communications. My status as a law school student follows a career in journalism, politics, and state government. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, United States Senator Dan Sullivan, Republican from Alaska. Senator Sullivan joins us between floor votes, and you will note the occasional vote alerts in the background as we speak. Senator Sullivan took his oath of office in January of 2015. This job on Capitol Hill followed positions as Attorney General for Alaska and Commissioner of the Department of Natural Resources as lead on Alaska's oil, gas, and minerals, among other responsibilities. Prior to that, he served as Assistant Secretary of State under George W. Bush. Early on in his legal career, Senator Sullivan served as Judicial Law Clerk of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in Fairbanks, Alaska, as well as for the Chief Justice of the Alaska Supreme Court in Anchorage, Alaska. Senator Sullivan is also a colonel in the United States Marine Corps Reserves. He has deployed to the Middle East and Africa. Thank you so much, Senator Sullivan, for being with us today. And I would love to start with your office and the fact that above your desk, you have the Bill of Rights inscribed on your wall, blue wall, white script. I do. Tell me why. Well, you know, I I think it's just an important reminder, right? I mean, we're in the U.S. Senate and we are a constitutional republic. And I think that sometimes... It's important to remind whether it's a senator or a president or a state legislator or governor what this great country of ours is all about and how it's put together. And to me, the Bill of Rights is a very, very important document. And to have it literally front and center, as you saw in very big letters in my office, is important. A lot of people don't even know what's in it. And I think it's really important not just to know what's in it, but to be reminded of it daily, which I am. And it's interesting. It gets a lot of attention, just whether it's, you know, that's where I do meetings for, for example, judges who are going through confirmation, justices to the U.S. Supreme Court. I've Mm -hmm. had meetings with, uh, you know, future Supreme Court justices in there, all the uh, noms to be... uh, you know, officers of the United States, which in the U.S. Constitution, they need Senate confirmation. So it's a reminder for everybody, and I think it's important. Absolutely. Very powerful. And you, perhaps more than most, just in, the, in our nation as a whole, a Marine, an Attorney General, Senator, the list goes on. You have consciously taken that oath of office repeatedly throughout life. How has that changed over the course, even as a law student and reading about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and prior to that as well, but just every time you take that, has it had a different meaning each yeah. time that you've heard that oh, and taken that Oh, that's a great oath? question, Mike. Um, look, I just think the oath of office, whether you're doing it as a senator, which you do on the Senate floor when you're sworn in, which is a historic place, or as a Marine Corps officer, which I've done a number of times, it's a really powerful it's a powerful oath because I think in many ways it's unique among 
governments because it's too uh, ideal and a system of government, not to any king or prince or president. It's to support and defend the Constitution. So that's different than most places. It's unique. I think it's very powerful. And it's a reminder what binds us together. One of the things I do, you know, I try to go home every weekend, uh, despite it being a little bit far from here, as you know. <laughs> but when I'm in Anchorage or Fairbanks or Juneau, I like to try to get out to the naturalization ceremonies, which are very powerful, very moving. And when they all take the oath, it's, it's a real patriotic moment. Last time I was home, in Anchorage, where I went to one of those, I think the number was 260 people were getting sworn in as American citizens. And what I said to them was, look, this is, this is kind of a mini political miracle that goes on all across America, literally on a daily basis, because I gave a speech to all these future citizens. I said, this morning you woke up, you had breakfast as a Mexican a German, a Korean, an Iraqi, a Filipino. You're going to take this oath right now. That's what we're going to do next. And then you're going to have dinner tonight as an American. And there's no questions asked, right? No questions asked. It takes you're, a lot of preparation. You're, you're, but, I mean, no questions asked that so you're an American. Yeah. You're, I, I tell these guys, you'll be as American as George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, and nobody will doubt it. I said, that doesn't happen anywhere else. So that's all part of that oath. Well, and as you travel around the world and you see other citizens of other countries, they envy our democracy and our Constitution. To what do you contribute the longevity of our Constitution, and what do you counsel other governments? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the longevity, we are the oldest constitutional republic in the world. You know, I think the longevity certainly, and I'm sure you're learning this in law school, goes to the brilliance of the founders. Mm -hmm. So I read the Federalist Papers. I read them not just in law school, but I, I, I still read them. As a matter of fact, I was reading, I think it's Federalist 66 and 65 by Alexander Hamilton recently, which is all about impeachment. I know we're not talking politics in this <laughs> podcast, but it is a but timely, it's, it's a bit yeah. of a, it's a topical issue right now. So I just thought it'd be interesting to see what Alexander Hamilton thought about impeachment since they put it in the Constitution. But uh, the longevity certainly goes to the, I would say, brilliance and insights of the founders. You know, I don't, hopefully it's not the case, but you hear in some schools and law schools studying these dead white males is not so in vogue. It should be in vogue, whether they're dead or white or male, they were brilliant. And they had an insight to political theory and human nature and the functioning of government in a way that very few else did. So I, I attribute the longevity certainly to their insights, but also to the American people, right? It's, uh, I always say, you know, the American people, Alaskans are very wise. If we, the elected representatives, trust in their judgment and what they're trying to, you know, do for the country, I think we uh, will have a lot more longevity. 
So take us back to your law school days. First of all, why did you go to law school? Why did you choose law school? So, you know, I, I really, I went to Georgetown. I did a joint degree with the law school and the School of Foreign Service, which was a great program. And, you know, my first two years in college, I was pre-med. And then I started, I didn't do very well in my science classes. <laughs> uh, and then I started to get very interested in government policy. I took some classes on that. I hadn't, was a, ended up being an econ major. And I just thought the way in which uh, law school could teach not just about policy, but the structure of government was a skill that I was very interested in having. Not clear what, about what I was going to go into at the time, but that I knew that that was a skill and rigor that you get in law school that I think uh, can benefit people regardless of what they go into, business, politics, government, military. So I did it, and I really enjoyed my time in law school. I really enjoyed it. And um, Did you feel the pressure, or did you revel in that pressure? I know there's a lot of pressure in law school. I mean, I, I remember around this time, right? Yeah. You know, the pressure comes from, at least when I was at, at Georgetown, a lot, of the, a lot of the exams were 100% of your grade. So you have a four-hour exam to kind of... Prove yourself. Get a D or an A. Right? <laughs> so that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't feel that much pressure. I, I, uh, I enjoyed it. I had really good professors great students that I was with. And, you know, I had a lot of practitioners, you know, professors who were not just full-time professors, but had been in the real world. And then at Georgetown, I, I mean, it was a unique thing. I, I took advantage of, uh, you know, doing internships as part of my law school career. So, and in D.C., you can do that because there's a lot of federal agencies where you can learn. So I, I took the opportunity to do that the State Department, the U.S. Trade Reps Office. And then my last year, my, I was in a four-year program. It's a long story, but I, I essentially, the D.C. Circuit, so the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, which is commonly you know, viewed as the second most important court in the country. They were, um, some of the judges were starting to take fourth, they had three law clerks. They started to take a fourth law clerk who was an intern slash law clerk. Ah. So very long story short, I uh, was hired by Judge James Buckley, who's a very well-known individual. He's still alive. He's a great American. He served in World War II. He was a U.S. Senator from New York. He was an undersecretary of state under President Reagan, and then he got put on the D.C. Circuit. He's the brother of William F. Buckley, the famous... Uh, conservative scholar and uh, intellectual. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Judge Buckley, even today, I think, is the only person alive that has served at the highest levels of the executive branch, legislative branch as a U.S. senator and as a D.C. Circuit judge. So I, I joined as his fourth law clerk. I was an intern. I kind of quit going to law school. I probably shouldn't say that on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but I was learning so much. I mean, the D.C. Circuit back then was, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think, was on it. Justice 
Scalia had just left or had, you know, moved. So that was kind of a feeder court into the U.S. Supreme Court for a lot of justices come from that that court. So it was fun. It was wonderful. I had I still am very close with Judge Buckley, and that was geez. 30 plus years ago. Would you say that those are some of the uh, most memorable moments then in your law school? Yeah, I had great professors. I mean, like I said, I did a joint degree. Some of your listeners are probably too young, but I I had a seminar, kind of a foreign policy slash political theory seminar with Jean Kirkpatrick. Oh, yeah. So she was a former ambassador to the UN. This is 12 students and Jean Kirkpatrick every week. I mean, if you know who Jean Kirkpatrick is, she's a towering intellect and had a huge impact on President Ronald Reagan's foreign policy. And then she went back to teach at Georgetown. And so I had her as a professor. So, um, And quite honestly, I then had her as a professor at Georgetown. Oh, did you? I did. Well, there you go. Another 12 kids in the class. And Is that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you know what I went through then. It's yep. great. I, yep. I just thought the world of her. And yeah, so it was great. So as you, is this your dream job? Is this what you, did you sort of have a 10-year plan no, or a 20-year no. plan or anything? Or No, and that's advice I give. And look, people do it differently. I had no, you know, I've never had a five-year plan in my life. And like I said, I was pre-med, so that didn't work out. I did this joint degree program, which I really enjoyed. I took a little detour because after I graduated, I joined the Marines. And I joined as an infantry officer and a recon officer, not as a JAG. So I've been in the Marines for 26 years now as a active duty and reserve. And and thank so, you for your service. Yeah, That's... well, your brother's doing the same thing, so I know you're proud of him. Um, and then, you know, I was I was a law clerk after my Marine Corps service, which again was kind of a when I got back into the law after four years of being out of it as an infantry officer and I was on active duty and I deployed, I went back to Alaska, clerked on the Ninth Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals and the, and the Alaska Supreme Court. I would recommend that to any, any of your law school classmates as you guys are looking. You're, you know, the law clerk positions are great, super interesting, intellectual. How did that change your outlook on the law and how did that change your direction well i clerked on the ninth circuit and i'm the lead senator right now trying to split the ninth circuit in half because i saw up close and personal the dysfunction of that court which is the biggest slowest biggest backlog court in the country the history of america is every time a federal court of appeals gets too big congress comes and splits it that's we've been doing that since the Judiciary Act of 1791. For whatever reason, the Congress has resisted this for the Ninth Circuit, and it's had a negative impact on the one in five Americans who are actually under the jurisdiction of the Ninth Circuit, including Alaskans. So I remember those days quite a lot. But, you know, it gave me a real good sense of the way the judicial system worked. I'm not being negative, but how seriously our judges take the law. The whole notion of the rule of law, which um, I certainly believe we have in America. Most countries don't have it. Most developed countries don't even have it. So being able to watch that process of judges and help them decide cases at a young age right out of law school, it's a phenomenal 
experience, I would again, I would recommend that to any any of your fellow classmates that they should uh, even a summer internship doing that. It'll give you a really good sense of what part of the law you might want to pursue, what part of the legal world you might want to pursue. And right now, it's very interesting. You may have noticed we're confirming a lot of federal judges. Okay, that's just open? Okay, I might be having to go vote for one right now, actually. Um, but it does give you a sense of the ability of... Uh, sorry, that's a vote um, warning. Just how important the role of the Senate is, but how important the role of the federal judiciary is. It definitely gave me a view also... That the role of a judge is uh, to have fidelity to the written law and statutes and written constitution. You know, when I went to law school, the whole idea of textualism and originalism was just starting to, the Federalist Society, which some people view as a bad word, I, I certainly don't. Um, some people in this body do, but I don't. Um, the whole kind of rigor that people like Justice Scalia brought to the interpretation of the law he wrote a book called um a matter of interpretation that i would highly recommend mm -hmm. for your readers just kind of brought a sense of hey there's a way you can be a judge and by the way if you want to write policy and you have a end game result on how you want cases to come out that's not really what a judge is supposed to do. As Justice Scalia famous said, if you want to write policy and make policy and you're a judge, you should take your robe off and run for office. So that that kind of intellectual development was happening when I was in law school. It's just mm -hmm. beginning. And it was very exciting. And I was somebody who was very attracted to it. And uh, now we're seeing a whole generation of judges being put on the federal bench who believe in that. And I think it's really good for the country and good for Alaska. So how do you compartmentalize is, as a lawyer, as a politician, as a senator for Alaskans, how do you say what comes first? We'll use impeachment as an example without going into the politics of it. But do you say, okay, so I'm going to look at this as a Senate trial. I'm going to look for the evidence. I'm going to use my law degree. Yeah. First, second, what? How do you see your roles and responsibilities? Well, I, I, and I, I use my law degree all the time. I mean, my legal training in this mm -hmm. job, all the time. So I think, I think certainly for this, you know, th this job, um, people bring different skill sets, and that's the beauty of being an elected representative. You. You have areas of focus because you care about them or you have experience in that area where you can kind of make an impact or lead. And then other senators, you know, there's doctors here, there's, um, you know, military members, there's uh, business leaders. So people bring different skill sets, although you can learn, right? Even if you're not a doctor, you can learn a lot about healthcare and make an impact on that. But I would say... You know, from my perspective, not just having a law degree, but having been in the legal world gives you a sense of how you can change the law. I'll just give you one example. So, as you know, Meg, we have a really big problem with domestic violence and sexual assault in Alaska. Horrible problem. Horrendous. And when I was attorney general 10 years ago in the state, the governor and I launched this big strategy called the Choose Respect Strategy, which was a big kind of overhaul of trying to how we look at our laws, but also legal services and 
changing the culture of the problem of these uh, horrendous crimes. And we had a case of a, I'm sure you're familiar with it, I won't go into too much detail, but of a a very well-to-do business guy who was a real creep. And, um, you know, he got in a lot of trouble with this Senator Stevens case, but he also was known to have uh, trafficked uh, young girls from the native community Mm -hmm. uh, across state lines, which is illegal under federal law. It's un- illegal under state law, but only to like a the age of consent. Once you're past that, you it's hard to, harder to bring a state case. I tried to charge this guy under state law. The facts of what he was doing made it difficult. So I went to the federal court or federal attorney general and requested that the attorney general cross-designate my prosecutors so we could prosecute this guy under what was called the Mann Act. That's mm. the federal law that prevents uh, taking people across state lines for sex trafficking, essentially. Long story short, the feds would not cross-designate my prosecutors in Alaska. I was very upset about this. Interesting. Um, so when I came to the Senate, it occurred to me that, hey, guess what? I'm a senator. I'm going to change the damn law on this one. So I wrote a bill called the uh, Man Act Cooperation Act, which has now been signed into law. And essentially what that says is that if an attorney, state AG, requests a cross-designation to prosecute a Man Act case, which, by the way, is just good policy because the feds don't have enough resources to take all these cases on. Mm-hmm. This happens a lot, unfortunately that the Attorney General of the United States shall, this is the language, cross-designate the state AGs unless it would undermine the interest of justice. Mm -hmm. And if the interest of justice is undermined, then the Attorney General of the United States has to provide a written reason why within 60 days of the request. So that was one of my first bills that um, was signed into law by the president. And... Changed it, right? That's the way I got stiffed by the federal AG not letting my prosecutors take on a Man Act case of a guy who should, right now in my view, clearly should still be in jail. So I fixed it. And now every AG in the country can go after these bad guys, even though state AGs, even though it's a federal law, unless the Attorney General of the United States has a really good reason not to cross-designate them. So it's probably unlikely had I been able to come up with that idea had yeah. I not been a lawyer yeah. or an AG. And put an it all together. Put it all together yep. and then get it passed. It's not easy to get a bill passed in this place. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I got to vote. Okay. I can come back for one more quick session. Let yeah. me go Let me go vote and okay. then I'll... How many more votes? Just one more. Welcome back from your latest okay. round of votes. Appreciate yeah, all your time. Sure. So you mentioned that, uh, of course, your law degree has had an impact on everything that you do on yes. a daily basis. Do you find yourself gravitating toward members who have law degrees or running away from them? Or do you find a you level know, of camaraderie? It's a good question. I, I don't think it really matters. Just kind of a group of attorneys general, Democrats and Republicans who have a common experience like that Man Act Cooperation Act that I uh, 
that I talked about earlier, you know, to move anything in the Senate, you you need Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. Because, you know, for almost most votes for passage, you need 60 senators to vote for it. So um, I've done a lot with the AGs just because we have common experience. So on a lot of the domestic violence and sexual assault legislation, I've done a lot more than just the Man Act, Cooperation Act. I've had Senator Klobuchar, Senator Heidkamp, Senator Harris. They've all been like lead co-sponsors of my bills and they're all former AGs. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit a little bit of that, but not really. I don't think I Bill Cassidy is a really good friend of mine. He's a doctor. Some of the military veterans, Senator Ernst, Joni Ernst, she's a retired lieutenant colonel in the army. She's a good good friend of mine. So I not really. I mean I I mean I don't look at it that way. Maybe maybe you kind of gravitate just by areas of interest, like the former AGs work together on some stuff. Sure, sure. So for those listening, what do you think the biggest challenge is for law students today? It's a good question. The one thing I like, I mean, don't buy into the cynicism. Okay. All right? I think there's, if you read the papers and the national media, and I'm not here to bash the media, but, you know, there's just this kind of, narrative of cynicism look i think it's a fact we live in the best country in the world by Mm -hmm. far it's not even a close call Mm -hmm. for the reasons we talked about the constitution the liberties are we perfect no but we're a lot better than most other places right if you look at the sweep of history just in last century you know there's a lot of countries that tried to essentially dominate Mm -hmm. Nazi Germany, Japan, Soviet Union. Thank mm-hmm. God the United States prevailed in all those. Again, you read press or unfortunately on college campuses and stuff, you get the sense that we're the, you know, source of all problems in the world. I I happen to have a very distinctly different view that we're not perfect, but we're the source of a lot of good. The United States is particularly the U.S. military, has done more to liberate human beings from tyranny and oppression than probably any other force in human history, if you think about it. Hundreds of millions of people because of us. That's a pretty good record. China can't say that. Japan can't say that. Soviet Union can't say that. (laughs) Germany certainly can't say that. So just don't buy into the cynicism, right? And read history. Read history. Why should people read history? Right now, if you don't read history, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the young reporters in this town have no sense of history or wisdom. You buy into the, oh my God, you know, you read articles right now, literally supposedly smart people saying, the Senate has not been this divided since 1860. Okay, hmm, let's look, 1860. There's a lot going on in 1860. I see articles like that a lot. Completely, you know, people who just don't have a sense of history. Mm -hmm. 1860, Mm -hmm. we're on the verge of a civil war where, you know, over 600,000 Americans were killed. Mm -hmm. Killed. That's more than all other wars in American history combined. We're not on the verge of a civil war. 
the U.S. has gone through periods of turmoil and con, uh, you know, political division, but don't buy into kind of the cynicism. There's a lot to be optimistic about in this country. And I think everybody who lives here and is a citizen of America certainly should work to better it, but also just have a better, bigger sense of what you were blessed to be born into. Or if you weren't born here, if you got here and became a citizen. I think it's uh, something we don't always think about and should. So as you hire individuals, whether it's now in the future, looking back through your um, unbelievable career and certainly more to come, what are the qualities that you really want to see coming out of hmm. a law student? So look, I, I actually, am, I'm personally very interested in hiring lawyers in my office just because they bring a sense of rigor, critical thinking. So I'm, I'm partial to hiring law students. But I think a sense of hard work, uh, good writing, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Although you learn that in law school, there's a lot of young, younger Americans who can, you know, maybe improve on their <laughs> writing skills. Although that takes time, I, I certainly was improving my writing ability well beyond law school. But also a sense of loyalty, right? I think that's a very underappreciated. Uh, characteristic you know i'm i'm uh, somebody who for my staff that everybody in my office works hard it can be intense environment but i try to be very loyal to my team and i think it's reciprocated but that's a quality maybe it's the you know marine corps semper fi motto but you certainly want to be viewed by your the people you work for is, uh, you know, somebody who uh, stays true to your convictions, but also, you know, true to the people you're working for. So I, I, I value loyalty a lot as well. It's definitely a, a commodity in D.C. that is a... Rare. Rare, yes. It's rare. So, yeah, it's rare. But it, in my view, it catches up to you. So right? what if, if you're If you're constantly... Have the courage of your convictions. Yeah. Stick to them. If you could speak to yourself yeah. back in law school, <laughs> what would you say? First of all, would you say the internship is worth it? Don't worry about going to class? <laughs> or would you? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I did really well in my evidence <laughs> class my last year. I'm pretty sure it was a really bad grade. But it was probably worth it. You know, I. Uh, that's the other thing I always tell students, you know, be willing to take risks. Look, you're going to get out of law school. It's going to be, there's a career path that you can take, and maybe that's great. Corporate firm, go up the ladder. That's great. I mean, I'm not belittling any career path. Um, but you guys are all young, and there's opportunities. You can kind of roll the dice on some things. So I think it's good to, particularly when you're young, to take risks. If, if there's something that you're really thinking about, well, but it's really off the beaten path, I would highly recommend you do it. And then, um, you know, I, I was a very curious type. Uh, I'll tell this one story because it's kind of funny. And it uh, gave me, a you know, kind of a sense of 
don't be afraid to, like I said, take risks or ask questions. I had been studying from my con law, my con law one final. It's the first year. It was right around this time over the holidays. And I was walking out of this uh, gym that I belong to on Capitol Hill. And I looked behind and I'd literally just been studying, no kidding, these very famous dissents in constitutional law written by Justice Scalia. One was called Morrison versus Olson. And one was called, I think, U.S. versus Menstretta. And I walked out of this gym and I turned around and Justice Scalia is walking out. No bodyguards or anything. He's just oh my goodness. walking out to the, going to go back to the Supreme Court. So I, uh, I'm like, geez, I think I'm going to go over and talk to him. So I went over and talked to him, introduced myself, told him what I was doing, Georgetown Law student, studying for my con law final, talked to him about his dissents in these cases. <laughs> and they were each eight to one. And I said, why do you think that nobody joined you on these so he and I had like a 20-minute conversation right on the street. Wow. So long story short, I've said that a lot today. Um, so this will be my last story. I take my con law final, 100% of my grade. And, you know, you have the one of the questions tees up this, uh, particularly the Morrison versus Olson issue, which I think dealt with the... Uh, I'm trying to remember. It was kind of the, what he called the fourth headless branch of government, the administrative agency structure of the federal government, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is not at all mentioned in the Constitution. And oh, who's in charge of it? So he writes this brilliant dissent, brilliant enough that it's in all the law school books. But, of course, it's not the law. So I have a question on my law school exam that was essentially right down the middle on this. So I'm sitting there as a student thinking, all right, I could write the answer that's uh, the uh, prevailing law, eight to one, the eight, or I could kind of use the Scalia logic, which is brilliant, but it's not the law. So you're sitting there like, all right, do I get the B or do I go for the A with the potential to get the F? Yeah. So I did I did that and I get an A on my con law final. So I was telling an aunt, one of my aunts, about this story. And she goes, Well, did you write Justice Scalia and thank him for the help? And I said, No, I didn't do that. And she said, Well, you should. So I'm like, Okay. So I wrote Justice Scalia. I love it. And I said, Thanks for the help. You know, I actually got an A on my con law exam and <laughs> So within 10 days, I get a letter back from Justice Scalia. Oh, wow. Dear Dan, thanks for your kind letter. I appreciate the fact that you think our conversation outside the health club helped you get an A on your con law final. I only uh, wish that when I was an actual con law professor at the University of Chicago, I would have had, had such an impact on my students. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of... Oh. Classic Scalia yep. wit. And so I would just end it with kind of, I mean, that wasn't a big risk, but, you know, go talk to guys like Scalia. Yeah. Join the Marines the if you think it's uh, a uh, worthy calling and uh, clerk for sure. Yeah.
but use that law use that law degree i think it's a really good degree but don't be cynical right don't buy into the prevailing cynicism there's a lot there's a lot of good going on in america right now and you know we need people to recognize that and then make it better well senator sullivan thank you for thank your you, advice Meg. thank you for your time your service you, i'm glad Many you're uh, in law school good to see you again <laughs> and uh good to see keep you. up the good work and you thanks too. for opening up your world to us sure thanks absolutely. very much And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Law Student Podcast. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the ABA Law Student Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can reach us on Facebook at ABA for Law Students and on Twitter at ABA LSD. You can also find all our Law Student Podcasts at hashtag ABA for Law Students on Facebook and Twitter. That's it for now. Until next time, I'm Meg Steenberg. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBar.org forward slash law student. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.